Well, welcome everybody to Downtown Harbor Church. If it is your first time here, my name is John. I'm the lead pastor. Appreciate you guys coming on out. Today we are continuing this series. As Adam said, we're calling it Not Normal. The concept for this series comes from the fact that Scripture says that we as Christians, and many of us in this room are Christians. If you're not, I'm glad you're here, kind of talking to the Christians in this series. Uh, Scripture says we as Christians are to be different from the world. Jesus said, and now I'm paraphrasing, he said, you are to be in the world, not of the world. That is, you are to live in society. You are to work in society, but you are to be different than society. And so each week, we're just examining, what does that mean? What does it look like to be different? What does it look like to go against the grain, to go against the flow, to be not normal? That's how we're kind of calling it. In week one, we talked about having not normal faith, particularly in the face of trials and tribulations and storms and all kind of the hard stuff in life. And we learn that ultimately God uses those storms to strengthen our faith, to refine our faith, to draw us near to him, and ultimately to transform us. Last week, we talked about having not normal values, and we learned that God has called us to be holy in everything that we do. And that's a big challenge, because sometimes God's call to be holy gets in the way or supersedes, if you will, um, our notion of happiness. After the service, had a couple of conversations with folks, and they just go, you know, I was supposed to be here today. This is, this is, there's some stuff in my life that I, I got to work on. So that was good. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that was helpful. And what's great about last week's conversation is that it really tees up today's conversation. Because what I want to do today is I want to talk about what does it look like to have a not normal calling? Now, as followers of Jesus, God is calling you. He has set you apart. We learned that phrase last week. He has made you holy in order to do something that is different. Now, one of the biggest questions that I get asked in ministry outside of, hey, is this a sin? And by the way, if you ask that, chances are it is. Um, just heads up on that one. Um, the biggest question that I often get asked is, what does God want me to do? Right? In other words, what is God's calling in my life? Today, I want to help answer this question for you. Because I have an answer for you. In fact, I'm going to show you three different types of callings that we all have in our lives. I'm going to kind of go quickly through the first two because I really want to go deep on the last one. So the first calling that we all have is what I'll describe as an eternal call. All right, that is an eternal call to follow Christ. As we speak, the Holy Spirit is doing a work all over this world right now. He is drawing people to Christ. He is winning people to Christ. He is creating spiritual hunger inside of individuals that can only be satiated, if you will, by God. Now, why is he doing that? He's doing that because God wants every single person in this world to have a relationship with him. One day, Peter was talking about Jesus' second coming. And if you're not familiar with that, long story short, Jesus promised that he's going to come back to this earth. When he does, he is going to rule here on earth earth. Now, in describing this second coming, Peter gives us a glimpse into this eternal call that we're talking about. So he says of Jesus, he, that's Jesus, isn't really being slow about his promised return, even though sometimes it seems that way. What's he talking about? In the New Testament, what you see is that the early Christians were really under the impression that Jesus is going to come back any day. Like it's Sunday, it could be Tuesday, he might be coming back. And yet, this is written about 25 years or so after Jesus was resurrected, and he's still not there. And so they're kind of tapping their feet, and they're going, well, where is he? Why, why is he so slow? What's going on? And 2,000 years later, we're still waiting. 
Now, based on current events, it seems like it could be any day, but we don't know, None, right? Nonetheless, we're still waiting. So why is Jesus waiting so long? Peter tells us he is waiting for you. The Lord does not want any person to be punished forever. He wants all people to be sorry for their sins and turn from them. In this world, there are two deadlines for accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Your last breath and the second coming. Truth is, you don't know when either of those is going to happen. So Peter's like, God doesn't want anybody to be lost. He wants everybody to be saved. He loves this world. He loves this world so much he sent his son to die for you. And so he is patiently waiting, graciously waiting, mercifully waiting as long as possible to send Jesus back so that as many people as possible will say yes to him. God, through Jesus, is extending an eternal call to, to leave behind your own desires and to follow after Christ. That's the first call, an eternal call. Second call is a temporary call. It's like an assignment, all right? It, it's, it's like, for example, you may feel called to do a particular role. You might feel called to be a nurse. Maybe you feel called to be a, a teacher. Maybe you're in a season of life where you feel called to be a stay-at-home parent. When I felt the call to ministry, I did not feel called to preaching. I actually felt a very strong call to use my writing abilities inside the church in whatever form that might look like. And by saying yes to that call so many years later, it has landed me here. You never know what God is going to do in your life when you answer that temporary call. Now, the third type of call, this is what we're going to be for the rest of the day, is what I'm going to call a daily call. Each of us, as followers of Christ, has a daily call to represent Jesus. A daily call to live with intention, to live differently in order to show the world Christ. Now, normally, when we talk about God's call in our life, we immediately jump to the do, right? And, and, and it's like, well, what does God want me to do? Right? What does he want me to do? And the do is important. Don't get me wrong. The do is important, but God is actually more concerned about the who than the do, right? He's more concerned about who you are, your motives, your heart, your integrity, because the who leads to the do. And what Peter is going to help us see today is that when you know who you are, you will know what to do. In the passage we're going to look at, Peter is writing to a group of Christians that would have been tempted to forget who they were because they were so hated. If you were here in week one, we talked a little bit about how this particular group of Christians that he's writing to were enduring persecution from the Roman government. And one of the biggest problems that they faced was, was, was ignorance. People didn't know who Christians were. And so there was a lot of propaganda. There was a lot of rumors about who they were. And the general consensus was that Christians were superstitious, incestuous cannibals. This is true. Now, we might laugh a little bit 2,000 years later, thinking that's ridiculous, but this was no laughing matter. I mean, people thought Christians were superstitious because they saw all these miracles taking place, and they assumed, well, Christians, they must be magicians, and, you know, Jesus must be sort of the chief magician of them all. They thought Christians were incestuous because Christians would hold what they called agape feasts. Agape is a Greek word for love. All right, so Christians would hold love feasts, what we would call potluck dinners. And who would they invite to these love feasts? Other Christians. And how do they refer to other Christians? 
brothers and sisters in Christ. So Romans are seeing brothers and sisters going into like that guy's house, closing the door and having a love feast, right? You could see sort of how this can get misconstrued. Lastly, they thought they were cannibals. So we know, according to historical documents, that Romans officials would try to infiltrate Christian communities in order to stop them, in order to persecute them. And these Roman spies, these moles, if you will, didn't really understand what they were seeing, specifically when it came to the Lord's Supper. All right, they would see Christians eating bread and wine, but they were calling it Jesus' body and blood. And so they just assumed, well, they must be practicing cannibalism. Now, if you think I'm making this up, I'm not. I have a second century Roman document discussing what one spy saw when he went into this Christian community. Now, I'm going to give you a warning. It's graphic, okay? And this was used as propaganda to persecute Christians. So here is what one Roman official claims that he saw. He said, I saw an infant covered over with meal. So he's talking about bread, just so you have an understanding. I saw an infant covered over with meal that it may deceive the unwary. It's placed before him. Now this infant is slain with dark and secret wounds. Thirstily, oh horror, they lick up its blood. Eagerly, they divide its limbs. By this victim, they are pledged together. Gross. But you can kind of see what's going on here, can't you? These Christians, he's watching them take communion. They're drinking the blood of Jesus. They're eating his body, as he described as the limbs. The victim, Jesus. Now, I don't know why he's talking about an infant. I can only guess maybe it's Christmas. But, but this is real. This is what these Christians that Peter was writing to were dealing with. They lived in a world that hated them, wanted them dead, and completely misunderstood them. So before Peter tells these Christians what they're called to do, He's got to remind them about who they actually are. So he says this, For you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. If you're a follower of Christ here today, this is who you are. You've been chosen by God to be in his family. You are a royal priest. You might not have known that. Meaning as a follower of Jesus, because of Jesus, you are actually a minister of God, even though you didn't go to seminary. You are filled with the same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave. You are called to make a difference in this world, but you're not called to do it alone. You're called to do it together as a holy nation. That is who you are. And as a result, Peter says, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you. There it is. He called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. We have been called. We've been chosen. We have been invited. We're no longer in darkness. We are in the light. Our lives have been transformed. We are a new creation. The old is gone. The new is here. And we have been called to show others the goodness of Christ. When you know who you are, you will recognize what you are called to do. Every single one of you here today who is a follower of Jesus is a royal priest who has been called to show the world the goodness of Christ. Now, here's the good news, bad news. The good news is we no longer live in a world that thinks Christians are superstitious, incestuous cannibals. That's the good news. The bad news, however, is that we do live in a world that thinks Christians are self-righteous, judgmental, intolerant bigots. 
And tragically, some so-called Christians, shall we say, have rightly earned this description. And that's a problem. Because that is not what God has called us to do. But this is the image we are up against. And you know it. But in spite of this, Peter says that your daily calling is to live with intention and represent Jesus to the skeptical world in which we live. Peter goes on to, to sort of describe this calling. He says, dear friends, I warn you, as temporary residents and foreigners, and I love how he kind of describes us as temporary residents and foreigners. That's his way of saying, this world isn't your home. Now that you're a follower of Jesus, you're, you're just a temporary residence, resident on, on your way to a heavenly home. You're now a foreigner in this land. As a foreigner, you're going to have different standards. So I warn you, he says, to keep away from the worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. That's what we talked about last week. Peter said we are to be holy in everything that we do. We are to put behind us our worldly desires. We need to be careful so that we don't slip back into the old ways. But watch what he says next. Because what he says next is, is why we're here today. He says, be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Now that's fascinating. Because for most Christians, if we're being honest, and that is key, we've got to be honest about this. For most Christians, we're very careful to live properly among other Christians. When we're around our unbelieving neighbors, we let our hair down, don't we? And we start to do things, and we start to say things that we normally wouldn't do or say in front of Christians. Now, you may say, well, that's because, you know, you're hanging out with unbelievers, and they are negatively influencing you. No, no, no. It's not them, it's you. It's not them, it's me. Peter says, don't do that. You've you got to live carefully among your unbelieving neighbors. Why? Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, in other words, even if they accuse you, think of you as being a superstitious, incestuous cannibal. Even if they accuse you, think of you as being a self-righteous, judgmental, intolerant bigot, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Peter is saying, I want you to live in such a way, with such honorable behavior, that non-believers, just by seeing you live, will be persuaded to become a follower of Jesus. And on that last day, when God judges this world, they, because of how you lived, will honor God. Now, here's what I want you to notice. Peter doesn't say, hey, I need you to convince your neighbors of what you believe. He didn't say that. He says, we're going to show the world what we believe by how we live. And we're going to live honorably. Now, as Christians, we absolutely 100% need to proclaim the name of Jesus in this world. But we got to earn the right to be heard. We have to earn credibility, okay, by first treating other people with love and respect and grace. In other words, before I tell you what I believe, I want to show you love in how I live. This concept is really at the heart of DHC's DNA. Our mission statement, if you don't know it, is to redefine the church experience in the city of Fort Lauderdale. Now, when people hear our mission statement, they often think, okay, well, what does it mean to redefine the church experience? 
And most Christians, and really most church leaders, think that we're talking about the church service. And they think, well, in order to redefine the church service, you got to play loud music. That's number one. You have to do that, okay? If you're going to redefine the church experience in order to attract non-believers, it is essential to have crazy lights, okay? And you can't stop at crazy lights. You also have a smoke machine. No, we know this. Paul talked about this in Corinthians. We know these things, okay? And if you're going to lure, because that's what you're doing, you're going to lure unbelievers into your church, and you're going to keep them engaged, clearly you got to entertain them with cheesy sermon gimmicks, and lastly, and most importantly, if you don't do this, you're cooked, okay? If you're going to attract unbelieving neighbors into your church, the pastor has to be in jeans and cannot be in a suit. We know this, okay? This is what people think it means to redefine the church experience. That if you want to reach your unbelieving neighbors, this is the formula. Copy and paste, create a church. Copy and paste, create a church. Let me tell you something. When we did the research leading up to the launch of DHC, we actually sat down and spoke with unbelievers. And we simply asked them, why don't you go to church? Be honest with us. You're not going to hurt our feelings. We actually want to know. Why don't you go to church? What we found is almost none of them cared about any of this. Go back real quick. No, almost none of them cared about any of this. Go back for them. Okay? What they cared about, right? No, they didn't, they, like, this is what Christians think like unbelievers want. Christians care about this. They didn't have any problem with the church service, right? They have problems with the church. And guess who the church is made up of? Christians. What we found when we actually spoke to people that, that Peter would categorize as our unbelieving neighbors, that the biggest obstacle keeping people away from Jesus was the behavior of his followers. That when your unbelieving neighbor finally made their way into your church, they were so turned off by the way that Christians behaved. They were so turned off by the way Christians treated them. They were so turned off by the way Christians judged them. And they were so turned off by the way Christians lived that they left. And they never came back. The very people we were trying to turn into followers of Jesus were being turned off by followers of Jesus. And because of that, we set out to redefine their church experience. Because if we're the problem, we're going to fix the problem. And that's why we started this church. A place where folks who had a bad experience with church could have a fighting chance at a relationship with God. And even though they may have been beaten and battered and judged and turned off by Christians, they could come here and find healing. They could come to this church and find Jesus. And to God's glory, thank you, God, he brought Christians to this church who understood it's not just what you believe, it's also how you behave. And together as a group, we've cultivated an environment of love and respect where we can learn from each other, we can lean on each other, where we actually have the freedom to be ourselves, free of judgment for once, while we learn more about Jesus Christ. And because of that, lives are being changed and Jesus is being preached. Peter says, be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Live in such a way that when your unbelieving neighbors watch you, it will change their mind about Christians. Live in such a way that when your unbelieving neighbors watch you, it will change their heart, and it will draw them to their Savior. You want to know what your calling is? You are called to show the goodness 
of God. For God has called you to do good always. In everything you do. Even if it means suffering just as Christ suffered for you. Wait, what? Here's what I hope you understand. According to scripture, there, there's going to be times in our lives when we do good and we will suffer because of it. Peter's writing to a group of Christians who, who will suffer in unimaginable ways. All right? But for you, you know, you might not get that promotion because you're living boldly for Christ. You might not get invited to that party because you're living boldly for Christ. You may get criticized and judged for how you are living for Christ, but you continue to live with the love of Jesus because it's the right thing to do and you've been called to do so. Peter says when it comes to doing good, Jesus, he is your example and you must follow in his steps. So, so what was Jesus? Well, he was loving, he was gentle, he was kind, he was full of grace and at the same time he was full of truth. What was he not? He was never arrogant. He was never condescending. He was never rude. He was never hateful. Peter says Jesus never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on that cross so that, there it is, so that we can be dead to sin and we can live for what is right. Peter says you are called to do good. And if you want to know what that looks like, just look at Jesus. Now, what he's about to say next takes faithfulness and obedience to a whole other level. Because what he's about to ask you to do is definitely not normal. He says don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. And that's not normal. Normal is repaying evil for evil. Normal is insulting someone back when they've insulted you. But Peter doesn't want us to be normal. Instead, he says, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do. And he will grant you his blessing. Between last week's message and what Peter has told us today, I personally have been doing a lot of soul searching. Okay? And, and I know there's a lot of room for growth in my own life. Because I know who I am in Jesus. And when you know who you are, you know what you're called to do. But when I look at what Peter is saying to us today, I gotta be honest with you, I'm convicted about how I live sometimes. Like when I lose my mind in traffic, which I do a lot, okay? Like a lot. Is that really living properly? You know? I mean, is that behavior becoming of a Christian? worthy of a blessing. See, I think what Peter's trying to show us today is that when it comes to the way we live, there really is more at stake than we realize. And we got to remember that we are called daily to represent Jesus in all we do, not just in what we believe. And when we do, God is glorified and lives are changed. So what's practical? What do you do with, with a message like this? If it's your first time here at DHC, Every single week, we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So when I got my first job in ministry, my old boss, my old pastor, 
said something to me, and it was an absolute game changer. And when you hear it, it might sound a little strange at first, but it really is so wise. He said, John, don't tell people you're a pastor. Don't tell people you're a pastor. But live in such a way that if they were ever to find out, they wouldn't be surprised. I think that goes for all of us. I, I just don't think we have to go around announcing that we're Christians, but we should live in a way that were others to find out, they wouldn't be surprised. So with that, here's your question for the week, just to be thinking about. Does your life show others what you believe? Right? That is, if your unbelieving neighbor found out you were a Christian, they would say, you know what? I knew it. I knew it. I knew it by the way you loved. I, I just, I knew it by the way that you cared. I knew it by the way you were quick to offer help. I knew it by the way that you called me when you found out my mom went to the hospital. I just, I just knew it. You never said it. I didn't know for sure. I just had this feeling that you were a Christian by the way that you lived. God is calling each and every single one of us to live in such a way that people know what you believe simply by the way that you live. So let's do that. Let's live differently. Let's be not normal. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, it is convicting and challenging to think about the responsibility that we have as Christians to live properly. You know, Lord, we get so focused on, on believing the right thing that sometimes we forget to behave the right way, not realizing what's at stake. And God, I just pray that today you would convict us. You would shine a spotlight into our lives, into areas that we don't necessarily have to improve on, but that we have to submit to you. That we would open up our lives and say, God, whatever we're doing that is not becoming of you, not becoming of a Christian, challenge us, Lord. Give us the strength to, to do better so that by our very actions, by our very behavior, we can proclaim and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That by living differently, lives can be changed all around us. And we will be quick, quick give you all of the glory. And we ask all of this in Jesus' mighty and powerful name.